following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Well, it is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, it's one of my favorite days of the year at Artisan. We have such a cool tradition that I think this is, I think this is the fourth year we've done this. Um, and I'll explain what the tradition is in just a minute. But to set the stage for the tradition and why we have it, I want to read to you the central text, the story of this day. Uh, and it comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Now, this is the book in the Bible that describes what happened in the earliest Christian church after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, what happened uh, with his apostles, with his followers, with the church. And uh, if you'd like to follow along, you can grab a red Bible and find page 885, or you can just simply listen to this. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, they are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved." So that's the story of the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And uh, I I see two things happening there that we like to celebrate on Pentecost Sunday. The first is the the language thing. All the different languages being spoken in that place at that time. Can you imagine the cacophony, the confusion that might have come from that noise? And yet, it was also a moment of great enlightenment because everyone heard the language in their own language, heard the words in their own language. 
So the first thing is this bizarre experience of language. And the second thing is what Peter proclaims is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel's prophecy, which is that the coming of the Spirit means that everybody receives this gift. Everybody gets to prophesy, which doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean prophesy in the uh, kind of Miss Cleo kind of way, right? Or the crystal ball sort of thing. It's, it's really proclaiming the Word of God, proclaiming God's words to the people who can hear. And whereas that seems like it was reserved for a special few in the old days, Peter's saying, just as Joel predicted, this is now available to everybody. So you have language, and you have this widening of who can, can prophesy, both of them coming from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And the tradition that we keep at Artisan on Pentecost Sunday aims to celebrate and capture both of those things. So what we will do in the next half hour or so is we will hear Bible passages read. Now, the Revised Common Lectionary uh, assigns several texts on Pentecost Sunday. Those are the ones that we will use. But you won't be hearing them just in English. You'll be hearing them in all kinds of other languages, too, because we have readers who will come up and read these texts in different languages, Mandarin, German, Italian, Spanish. So that's the first part that we celebrate. And then the second part that we celebrate is the Spirit being poured out on people and uh, empowering them to speak uh, the words of God, to prophesy, as it were. And the way we celebrate that is by having different people come up and offer brief devotional reflections on those texts. Now, uh, the, the celebration of these uh, aspects of the day of Pentecost means a couple of things. It means that um, some of what follows will make no sense to you. It will literally not make any sense to you because you don't speak the language. Right? And there was a moment when I thought, maybe we should um, like simul- simultaneously put the English translation on the screen. No. There was, a mo- there was a, an aspect of complete and utter confusion and noise. And we're going to embrace that part of it that way. <laughs> now, I am asking those who share devotional reflections to to read at least the pertinent passages of their reflection uh, in English so that we'll have an an anchor point when that comes. But here's the other thing. I have not vetted or steered any of the devotional reflections that are about to follow. We're trusting that the Holy Spirit has spoken to those who have agreed to uh, share with us this morning. And uh, the last thing I would want to do is stifle that by uh, saying, no, why don't you come into my office and I'll make sure that uh, everything is... Uh, exactly as I would say it. That would defeat the purpose. And so I love this day. I'm very exciting, uh, excited about it. This blend of confusion and fam- familiarity, this, uh, this spirit speaking to and through all people is the beauty of Pentecost. It's the beauty of living in the spirit. And in the next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to live in the spirit as a church. And I'm looking forward to that as well. But for now, uh, I'd like to call up Yin, who's our first reader this morning, and she's going to read the same passage that I read, the Acts 2 passage in Mandarin. And uh, from that point on, you won't hear from me until the very end when I come up to um, invite you to the table of communion. And uh, so if you're a reader or a sharer, please just come up when it's your turn, okay? Thank you, Yin, and thank you, everybody else. Okay, um, I'm going to start... 
五旬节到了，门徒都聚集在一处。忽然，从天上有响声下来，好像一阵大风吹过，充满了他们所坐的屋子。又有舌头如火焰显现出来，分开落在他们个人头上。他们就都被圣灵充满，按着圣灵所赐的口才，说起别国的话来。那时，有虔诚的犹太人从天下各国来，住在耶路撒冷。这声音一响，众人就都来，众人都来聚集。个人听见门徒用众人的相谈说话，就甚纳闷，都惊讶稀奇，说：“看哪、啊，这说话的不都是加利利人吗？我们个人怎么听见他们说我们生来所用的相谈呢？我们帕提亚人、马代人、以兰人和住在米索波大米、犹太、加帕多加、本都。”亚西亚、费吕加、庞菲利亚、埃及的人，并靠近古利奈的吕比亚一带地方的人，从罗马来的客旅中，或是犹太人，或是进犹太教的人，格里底和亚拉伯人，都听见他们用我们的相谈讲说神的大作为，众人就都惊讶猜疑，彼此说这是什么意思呢？还有人讥笑说，他们无非是新酒灌满了。彼得和十一个使徒站起，高声说：“犹太人和一切住在耶路撒冷的人呐、啊，这件事你们当知道，也当侧耳听我的话。你们想这些人是醉了，其实不是醉了，因为时他因为时候刚到四初，这正是先知约尔所说的。神说，在末后的日子，我要将我的灵浇灌凡有血气的。”你们的儿女要说预言，你们的少年人要见异象，老年人要做异梦。在那些日子，我要将我的灵浇灌我的仆人和使女，他们就要说预言。在天上我要显出奇事，在地下我要显出神迹，有血，有火，有烟雾，日头要变为黑暗，月亮要变为血。这都在主大而明显的日子未到从前。到那时候，凡求告主名的，就必得救。Thank you. Hi, I'm Angela. If any of you don't know me,、um, <coughs> so I'm going to be giving a reflection on、um, an alternate lectionary reading for this year, which is Genesis chapter 11. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. Babel, which means confusion in Hebrew, and in Babylonian means the gate of God.、Um, rather than read the passage to you, we'll be—I'll just hit the important verses, or what I thought were the important verses,、um, because I assume that most people are familiar.、Um, if you are familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel, can you raise your hand? Just okay. So. This is a pretty famous story, and when I approached、um, <clears throat> looking at this, I noted first that it's it's actually sort of inserted into a really kind of weird place in Genesis, Genesis chapter eleven, and it's inserted into the genealogy between Noah and Abram. It's sort of an intermission, like Moses thought. Well, they might be falling asleep at this point, so. Let's stick in a cool story to make them sure they wake up again.
But when you look at exactly what the context is, I realize that it's smack dab in between chapter 9, which, in which God makes a covenant with Noah. This is after the flood. He promises to never flood the earth again. And so I just want to read from chapter 9 first. Genesis chapter 9, verse 3. This is on page 6. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And just as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So not only did he promise not to flood the earth again, but he really gave Noah the world. But maybe this was in return for following his command, which is in verse 1, which says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then following this, we have Genesis chapter 12, which is the call of Abram. So chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now in between these events is the story of the Tower of Babel. So let's listen to what the people said. This is in um, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. So what does this verse tell us about these people? So they were a community. Obviously, they were a group of people. They wanted to make themselves a city. They wanted to reach to heaven. They wanted to make a name of their own to last through posterity. They didn't want to be scattered. So not wanting to be scattered is a direct rebellion of God's instruction to Noah and his family. And to me, this describes a community who wanted to or had a purpose to be separated from God. They wanted to do things on their own terms. So what is God's response? This is in verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people. And they have all one language And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And probably the last time I read it, but certainly this time I read it, I was like, wait, what? Nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. Now I know that after this, he scatters their, you know, he he divides their language and scatters the people. So, So what exactly is God talking about? know okay well is this sarcasm is God really saying if as one people with the same language they can do that well then of course nothing is going to be impossible for them but no I don't think that's true is it that we're a threat to God now nothing's going to be impossible for us the unity of humanity is God afraid of us And if so, if God's afraid of us and he's going to punish us by dividing our languages, does that mean that human ambition is bad? 
and are, is pushing the limits of human understanding forbidden? Now, I don't know about you, but because I'm a scientist and I've been raised in the Christian tradition, I've heard many interpret this as condemning the, the arrogance of man's desire to understand the universe. And by this, they imply that any attempt for us to understand creation is an arrogant act and worthy of condemnation. And when I sit with that idea <clears throat> and I think about the gifts that God's given me, I think, no, that can't be right. So with that in mind, let's look at this passage again. And specifically, let's look at what was motivating these people. They wanted to conquer heaven on their own terms. They wanted to get to heaven. They wanted to reach God. They may have even wanted to be able to go up into the heavens and make war on the people of heaven or on the inhabitants of heaven. They wanted to be famous. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Maybe even they wanted to build the highest tower they could in order to protect themselves from the possibility of another great flood so that they didn't have to rely on God to save them again. And they didn't believe in God's promise that he wouldn't do it. Now, God promised that he wouldn't flood the earth, yet he wants to protect us from ourselves. He wants to protect his, newly, his new nations, his newly formed human culture from yet another corruption. So in response, we go to Genesis 11, 7 through 8. And he says, come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building their city. So here in our desire to be separated from God, we lost something. We lost our ability to understand each other. We lost the ability to unite and create meeting, as Scott often says, our ability to reflect God's image as creator on the biggest scale possible as a whole body together. We also began to fear each other and to regard each other as strangers. But, downer as that may be, in the next chapter, God calls Abram to follow him, starting a new path starting a new path for God's chosen people. That path eventually culminates in Christ, his death on the cross that reconciles us to the Father. And then, beautifully, awesomely, like totally amazingly, during Pentecost, as told in the Acts passage that Scott read just a few minutes ago, God sends us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit descends. What does it do? So this is Acts 2, 4, and 6. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. So God sends the Holy Spirit, 
to restore our understanding of each other. To give us back the unity that we lost way back before he made the covenant with Abraham. That unity can be ours again through Christ. And then this to me is like the killer part. Go back to Genesis 11.6. What does God say that we can do when we're united? Now nothing which we purpose to do will be impossible for us together with Christ. Awesome. So I will leave you with another echo of this idea. This is from the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, for the day when I arise as a witness. At that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. The NIV says, and serve him shoulder to shoulder. So we have the Tower of Babel, and we're restored to unity by the Holy Spirit. Salmo 104, versículo 24 al 35. Oh Señor, cuán numerosas son tus obras, todas ellas las hiciste con sabiduría. Rebosa la tierra con todas tus criaturas. Allí está el mar, ancho e infinito, que abunda en animales grandes y pequeños cuyo número es imposible conocer. Allí navegan los barcos y se mece Leviatán, que tú creaste para jugar con él. Todos ellos esperan de ti, que su tiempo les dé su alimento. Tú les das y ellos recogen. Abres, las ma abres la mano y se colman de bienes. Si escondes tu rostro, se aterran. Si les quitas el aliento, mueren y, se y vuelven al polvo. Pero si envías tu espíritu, son creados y así renuevas la faz de la tierra. Que la gloria del Señor perdure eternamente. Que el Señor se regocije en sus obras. Él mira la tierra y la hace temblar. Toca los montes y los hace echar humo. Cantaré al Señor toda mi vida. Cantaré salmos a mi Dios mientras tenga aliento. Quiera Él agradarse de mi meditación. Yo por mi parte me alegro en el Señor, que desaparezcan de la tierra los pecadores, que no existan más los malvados. Alaba alma mía al Señor, aleluya, alaba sea el, alabado sea el Señor. Wow, never stood up here before. This is pretty exciting. Um, oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all, the earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things, both small and great. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. 
May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Um, So I had the opportunity uh, a couple days ago to take my daughter's kindergarten class to help chaperone a trip to the zoo. And it was quite the experience. I only had three kids with me, and... um, you know, we, we went around the zoo, we looked at the animals, we saw the exhibits, and, you know, we, we learned about the life cycles of the penguins and the polar bears and their habitats and their environments. We learned about the lake sturgeon that can grow 10 feet long in the 150 years that it lives in the Great Lakes, which is pretty cool. Uh, and the kids were fascinated and amazed, and it was uh, fun to watch them just be overwhelmed with all of the different animals and how cool they were, and they oohed and they awed at literally every new animal as if they had never seen them before. And I know for a fact that all of them had been to the zoo many times. <clears throat> I think probably the most amazing part of our trip was when we went to go see the rhinoceros. And when we first got there, the kids were actually fairly nonplussed about the whole thing. It was just kind of laying there, not terribly exciting. And then the rhinoceros stood up and turned around and turned his back towards us and began to urinate. (laughs) And it was amazing. It was like a garden hose on for two full minutes, and we stood there and watched it, and they literally screamed with glee for two minutes. (laughs) So that being uh, kind of the... the, uh, level of glee that the psalmist has as he's looking at the world around him. And the interesting part to me was um, the psalmist, he, he looked around and he had that same level of amazement and wonder at the nature around him. But he didn't stop and say, oh, this is amazing, nature is amazing, and just stop there. He continued and gave credit to God for creation. And appreciated the power and the marvel and the glory that God brought into the world when he brought the world into being. Um, And kind of harkens back to that Genesis 1 story of God breathing the spirit of life into us and creating life with that breath. Uh, And then it it doesn't stop there. It goes on to, uh, he goes on to talk about uh, God opening his hands And in his open hands, he provides every good thing that we need for sustenance, that we need to continue being. So it wasn't this one big bang event of creation. It was an ongoing spirit in this world where he was working in the world to provide for us, to sustain us, to protect us, and to bless us and all of creation. Excuse me. Um, And then you know, wrapping this up into the, the Pentecost, you know, as Scott had read, God once again pours his spirit out onto his people, onto the early believers. And it was a wonderful and new thing, but it was not a new thing. It was a new version of a thing that had been going on throughout the Bible. First, you know, breathing life into us, breathing his spirit into us, then going on to provide for us. And then as the early church is just forming, that spirit that gets poured out, it's 
it's a new thing, and the, the speaking in tongues was a new thing, but it was also the same thing. It was God providing for his early church. It was God giving them the sustenance and blessing them, and um, they were able to begin this thing that, you know, we are now a part of the, the church as a whole for the last 2,000 years, but it goes back farther than that. It goes back all the way to the beginning of creation and throughout. And so I will end with the uh, same words that the psalmist ends with. Bless the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Morning. Um, I'm reading or talking from Psalm 104, verses 24 through the end of the psalm which is on page 483 in the Red Book, Broad Bibles. I'm not special. I just have large print here so I can read from a distance with my aging eyes. Um, Psalm 104 is a retelling of the creation story in Genesis Genesis 1 um, in poetic language. Um, And actually, Genesis 1 is in poetic language, um, which is <laughs> the, the origin of a lot of misunderstanding like Angela was talking about. Um, one of the themes is, is that uh, God created not from nothing, ex nihilo, if, if, it's, if it's important, it's got a Latin or a Greek name for it, um, but out of chaos, he created the, the it's, Genesis 1 speaks of the, the uh, waters covering the earth, and water is a symbol of chaos. Uh, and God divides the waters above from the waters below, meaning we now have sky with clouds and the waters below, and divides from the land, dry land, from the water. So he, the water no longer is chaotic; it's controlled; it's 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 ordered within creation. Um, there's an image in this psalm of God. Uh, as the sun, and, he, and in the creation story, he divides the day and the night. Again, it's order. Um, and this section here is sort of a recapitulation. Um, o Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships, and Leviathan, you formed a sport in it. Um, an interesting thing about Leviathan, it's, Leviathan refers, gen, it can be uh, a crocodile, which was more common in Egypt, or a sea serpent, or uh, uh, a dragon in Revelation. But it's always this, this agent of chaos. But here it's God's pet <laughs> playing in the o- ocean's. These all look to you to give them food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open, their hand, open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. 
May my meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Um, one of the first questions I, I, I asked when I was looking at this psalm is, why is this particular reading chosen for Pentecost? And if you look at uh, verse 30, I think it's, that's key. It says, when you send forth your spirit, Pentecost, or breath, which is the same word, they are created, and you renew the face of the, of the ground. And again, the themes of chaos, like Scott said. Um, to begin with, Pentecost was one of the three major feasts during the uh, Jewish holy year, or year. It was a, a feast of harvest. It was the end of the, marked the end of the barley uh, harvest, which always confused me because why are they harvesting in the middle of the spring? But the climate's different there, so the planting seasons are different. Um, and it was, again, uh, honoring God for his provision, like, like the psalm talks about here. God provides for his creation. And there would have been a lot of chaos because I don't know how it was during Pentecost, but at least during, um, during uh, the Passover, I believe that the... Uh, um, population of Jerusalem roughly doubled, and it may have been more than that. So you had the city absolutely packed full. Uh, people speaking different languages because there were Jewish converts uh, or um, may have lived in, in other areas where their, their first language was, was not Aramaic or Hebrew. Um, and into this, God breathes his breath and uh, and creates. In, in some ways, he creates more chaos because of the languages, but within that chaos is the, the order of God's, God's word, God's message to the people so that they could understand. The church is created in one day, basically. Went from the small band of disciples to several thousand people in one day and kept growing like that. Um, so, you know, something that modern church planners would envy. Um, and God, God uh, created in that day. He is still creating and will continue to create. Um, the psalm ends with sort of a cadence here. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. Uh, God who can just look on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and the smoke. God of this awesome power but sustains the earth. Um, may my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. So this, the uh, psalmist calls on God to rejoice in his own creation um, and rejoices in it himself. And we look... Um, it says, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. That's kind of, we're getting a little bit into what, what Scott talked about last week. That's kind of a hard, kind of a hard thing that, that he just wishes or wants sinners to be gone. But it's, it's zeal for the purity of God's creation, that nothing mar it. And God's ultimate creation um, being the new heavens and the new earth uh, and that will be a, not, not God's final creation because God will continue to create. We will continue to rejoice in his creation and continue to discover 
I've, I've often wondered, you know, what, what, would, what is heaven like? What will, what will we be doing? What, we, we just sitting around singing all the time? But no, no, I think it'll be, it goes back to what Adam and Eve did. Um, or the description of Adam and Eve is, is being in God's creation and discovering and enjoying and rejoicing in God's creation and God will rejoice with us and will be with us um, and we'll be able to see him directly without, without a mediator um, and clearly, finally understanding God uh, because he will, he will be able to tell us uh, what he has done directly. And so we will we'll eternally be able to say... Um, Bless my Lord, bless the Lord of my soul, and praise the Lord. It might be a little rusty. Filippo gli disse, Signore, mostraci il Padre, e ci basta. Gesù gli disse, Sono stato con voi tanto tempo, e tu, Filippo, non mi hai ancora conosciuto. Chi ha visto me, ha visto anche il Padre. Come mai dici, mostraci il Padre? Non credi che io sono unito al Padre e che il Padre è unito a me? Le cose che vi dico non le dico da me stesso, ma il Padre che rimane unito a me fa le sue opere. Credetemi che io sono unito al Padre e il Padre è unito a me, altrimenti credete a motivo delle opere stesse. Assolutamente vi dico, chi esercita fede in me farà anche lui le opere che io faccio e farà opere più grandi di queste perché io, non me, io me ne vado al Padre e qualunque cosa voi chiederete nel mio nome io la farò affinché il Padre sia glorificato riguardo al Figlio. Se voi chiederete qualche cosa nel mio nome, io la farò. Se mi amate, osserverete i miei comandamenti, e io pregherò il Padre, ed Egli vi darà un altro soccorritore, che sia con voi per sempre. Lo Spirito della verità che il mondo non può ricevere, perché non lo vede né lo conosce, voi lo conoscete, perché rimane con voi ed è in voi. Mentre rimanevo con voi vi ho detto queste cose, ma il soccorritore e lo Spirito Santo che il Padre manderà nel mio nome quello vi insegnerà ogni cosa e vi rammenterà tutte le cose che vi ho detto. Vi lascio pace, vi do la mia pace. Non ve la do come la dà il mondo, non si turbi il vostro cuore né si ritragga per la paura. Good morning. So this is a quotation from uh, Pastor Martin Niemöller. It says, uh, First they came for the socialists then I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I am not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I am not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Um, Martin Niemöller was a, a Protestant minister in Germany, in the 1930s, and he was a staunch critic of Hitler and of the Nazi regime. He spent seven years in a concentration camp before, before the end of the war and went on to become um, an international lecturer and uh, lived to the ripe old age of something, dying around 1984. Um, I have the, the joy and honor of spending most of my working days with 15-year-olds, and I use this uh, particular poem to open up 
uh, something that you guys will find very familiar, an immersed experience uh, with my 10th graders about the Holocaust. And the overarching goal of this experience is for them to learn empathy because um, they can look up what Kristallnacht is. They can look up what a ghetto is. They can look up dates and names. Google is an amazing thing. So I don't need them to memorize that. I need them to learn to be an empathetic adult. Um, and so I use this as an example. I use many other people as examples of empathetic adults so that a 15-year-old who happens to be, for the most part, relatively self-focused, because that's the natural way of a 15-year-old, um, that, that they can start to engage this idea of thinking of the other, of caring about the other, of valuing the other at the same level as themselves. Um, so as I was thinking about the passage in John that was read so beautifully in Italian, by the way, um, um, I, I see that Philip asks a very similar question in John 14, 8, that I, um, that I push on my students. He's, uh, it says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Um, what examples do we look for as ways that we should be? For the last uh, three months or so, we have been studying the, the um, character of God and how God behaves. And we've looked at the character of God the Father as the creator the, um, the sustainer, the inventor, the innovator, the artist, the craftsman. And um, as a church, we try and embody that, that spirit. Um, and then we looked at um, God the Son, Christ, and as, the, as this sacrificial lamb, the peacemaker, the, uh, the prince of peace. Um, and then we're left with the Holy Spirit. If, if we do proclaim a triune God, we are left with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is one of those things that, um, if I'm being perfectly honest, is very hard to wrap your head around. Um, you know, it seems as though the Holy Spirit is almost like a family pet. Like, you know, it's, it's the thing that God leaves behind. It's the, it's the Christmas fruitcake. It's the... <laughs> The, the Holy Spirit is that thing that you just don't know what to do with. And you can't really embody it. You, it, it, it walks around with a sheet on its head. You just, you just don't know what it is. Um, and in, in this particular passage, Philip asks, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus pushes back on him and says, you've met me. You know me. You know my character. Thus, you know the Father. Because we are the same thing. And then he says, but just to reinforce that, just to, to bring this home for you, um, he says in verse, uh, in verse 16, he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. And then further down um, in verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. 
I love the way that the NRSV translates the Holy Spirit because I think it gives me and possibly us something that we can hang our hat on a little bit as to what the Holy Spirit is. If, the, if God the Father is the creator and God the Son is the Prince of Peace, the Holy Spirit is the advocate. The Holy Spirit is the, the, the aspect of the Father that beseeches on behalf of the aspect of the Father that begs on our behalf. Um, And then to take that and apply it, if we are to live as God the Father, we are to be creative. We are to use our gifts to create, whether it's in science or math or in the kitchen or in art, we are to create. If we are to be like God the Son, then we are to, to embody peace. We are to sacrifice for other people. We are to, um, to be that bridge between God and man. And then if we're to be like the Holy Spirit, we're to be the advocate. We're to be the person who stands in the gap. We're to be the person who speaks out for the people who have no voice. Um, and I think, I think as Christians, that's something that, that we, can, we can latch on to. That's something we can understand that isn't the, the nebulous Holy Spirit that descends upon us. That is an active behavior that we can move forward with. Um, so just like with my students, I try and teach them empathy. As I was staring through this passage, um, I felt as though God was trying to say that the Holy Spirit is the, the embodiment of empathy. And it is empathy in action through advocacy. So hopefully that's worth something for you. Guten Morgen. Oh, haben Sie das verstanden? Sehr gut. Der letzte Sätze vielleicht nicht. Okay, ich lese aus das Neues Testament Roma 8, 14 bis 17. Alle, die sich vom Geist Gottes regieren lassen, sind Kinder Gottes. Denn der Geist Gottes, den ihr empfangen habt, führt euch nicht in eine neue Sklaverei, in der ihr wieder Angst haben musstet. Er macht euch vielmehr zu Gottes Kindern. Jetzt können wir zu Gott kommen und zu ihm sagen, Vater, lieber Vater, Gottes Geist selbst gibt uns die innere Gewissenheit, dass wir Gottes Kinder sind. Als seine Kinder aber sind wir gemeinsam mit Christus auch seine Erben. Und Leiden wir jetzt mit Christus, werden wir einmal auch seine Herrlichkeit mit ihm teilen. I love that. It's so visceral and guttural. It's great. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. This is such an interesting passage and I felt kind of lazy picking the shortest one. Um, but I, it just pulled me. Um, 
And I, it kind of calls to me to work backwards with the conditional. So it ends with this conditional of if we suffer with Christ, then we are heirs with him. Then we are, we are with him and we inherit what he has for us. And that has always, in my evangelical, Americanized evangelical background, been interpreted to me and preached to me that I would need to martyr myself, my dreams, my my actual gifts or things that I feel passionate about, need to go away and I need to become a missionary and go across the sea and do all of those things and, you know, pass out pamphlets and leaflets and people are going to hate you and that's just the call of God. Um, But if you don't take up that cross in that way, then, you know, no inheritance for you. But recently, Kyle and I started suffering a little bit more than we were used to. In February... I miscarried. And what really grabbed me about this passage is if we suffer with him. But what got me with the miscarriage is as soon as I found out that we were not going to have the baby and it was going to be a hard road, I felt instinctively to let Christ come and suffer with me. Not for me to go and suffer with him, but to let him in to my suffering and let him carry it with me. And what's interesting about that is that's just counterintuitive for us as human beings. We don't like that. We show our vulnerability, and the world sees that as weakness, and there's a time limit on grief, and then it can become an inconvenience if you go past that, and it becomes burdensome. But letting Christ into our suffering, letting him carry it with us, embracing the suffering and letting him dig in and be the healer, then lets us turn around to other people and say it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. Then we can not be afraid or have a spirit of fear because we are children of God. And, you know, I... I teach preschool, so children get boo-boos all the time. And this is the same thing. If we suffer with him, if we let God suffer with our boo-boos, then then we can let other people suffer, and we can be the church, and we can be the community, and we can be the advocate for the people that don't have a voice. We can do that without being afraid of being um, abused in that moment. And I think all of it goes back, like it all leads to being the church together, being community in conflict, not liking each other, whatever happens. We don't get to pick who to suffer with. We suffer with each other, you know. I also think that with that being said, it's, it's always scary to share vulnerable things. But again, we haven't been given that spirit of fear And I think that's what keeps the church from being the real church, um, that spirit of fear. Because in our vulnerability, in our suffering, 
it's instinctual to build walls and close in on ourselves and not let anybody in. But we're not supposed to do that because fear builds walls. But the love of God, love builds bridges. And I know that's a very hippie thing to say, and I love it, but I love it. It needs to be on a shirt. Um, But it's true. Fear is going to build a wall, and love is going to build a bridge. And in a bridge, we lay ourselves down. And just like Christ, we lay ourselves down. We suffer openly, and that's okay, and we celebrate openly. Um, So I think, in the end, the inheritance through all of that is the joy set before him, like Hebrews says. And that joy is the community right? The joy is the togetherness and the vulnerability of the church and just being in community with one another is is the kingdom now. And that's what the Holy Spirit gave birth to on Pentecost and that's what she wants us to do now. Wow. Um Could we give a hand of thanks to all the people who shared this morning and read? So wonderful. Um, Man, we will go with so much to think of uh, this morning and then this week. It is now our sacred privilege to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All who humbly put their trust in Christ and desire his help that they may lead a holy life. All who are truly sorry for their sins and would be delivered from them. All who would walk in love with their neighbors and intend to live a new life following the commandments of God and walking from now on in his holy ways are invited to draw near with faith to receive this holy sacrament. Come to this sacred table not because you must but because you may. Come to testify, not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. Come, not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy and help. Come, not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Gracious God, we pray that you will send your Holy Spirit on these gifts, that they may be the sacrament of the body of Christ and the blood of the new covenant. Unite us to your Son in his death and resurrection, that we may be acceptable through him, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Come to the table. Come to receive prayer. Come in the call of the Spirit. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.